flash or something coming at you, and I, re I reacted to it. Just a split second's difference between life and death. It doesn't get much closer than this. A small plane crashing onto a street in Markham. Drivers coming face-to-face -face with possible disaster. Good evening. It's hard to even imagine. How would you react? The aircraft coming into land when something obviously went very wrong. From the runway to the roadway. In just moments, you'll hear exclusively from one man who's feeling exceptionally lucky tonight. CTV's Raheem Ladani is live near Buttonville Airport with our top story. Raheem. Nathan and Michelle, traffic is once again flowing on my left-hand side on 16th Avenue between Highway 404 and Woodbine Avenue. But I want to focus your attention to what's on my right. As we look down, you can see what's left of this fence. Now, this fence borders on the edge of the end of the runway at Buttonville Airport. And this portion of the fence is absolutely destroyed. That's because it's at this exact spot where a small aircraft crashed through earlier today before ending up in the middle of the road. Doug is feeling grateful that he's able to walk away safely after his SUV was narrowly hit by a crashing plane. Honestly, it happened so fast. I, I basically reacted and that's it. But to, to give you an accurate description as to, you know, it's just like you get a flash or something coming at you and I, re I reacted to it. This Slingsby T-67C aircraft was attempting to land on the runway at Buttonville Airport just after 12 p.m. Instead, it crashed through a fence, spun 90 degrees, and came to a stop in the middle of the roadway on 16th Avenue between Highway 404 and Woodbine. This is something that uh, we do have happen every now and again with the airport uh, where it is, but um, it's very fortunate that no one was hurt. And uh, I mean, it was a case of, like I said, he's coming in for a landing, sounds like preparing to land, um, but sort of missed the location. So uh, really fortunate that uh, we have no injuries. This piece of the plane broke off during the crash and landed underneath Doug's SUV. He says he acted instinctively and wasn't injured. Break and turn. Yes, I had to swerve to avoid it. I thought I escaped, but then... The pilot and one passenger were also able to walk away from the crash. They were escorted by first responders to an ambulance, but were not taken to hospital. It uh, looks like EMS came to the scene and assessed both people, and uh, they didn't require any uh, further treatment. The Transportation Safety Board is deploying a team of investigators to determine what led to the aircraft accident. We did speak with a gentleman off camera who told us he's a friend of the pilot. He says the pilot is extremely experienced. He believes that the aircraft suffered engine failure. Now, this isn't the first time this type of incident has occurred. Last October, a plane also landed on Highway 407 near Woodbine, and in that instance, no one was injured as well. Reporting live, I'm Raheem Ladani. Nathan, I'll send it back to you. All right, thank you, Raheem. Next to a new diagnosis that could transform the way many of us navigate Ontario's health system. A move to lighten the load of a sector under strain, but it doesn't come without controversy. A public investment into private care, deepening the debate into for-profit procedures in this province. CTV's Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris is live with more. Siobhan. Michelle, there had been an acknowledgement that we needed to do something to clear a backlog of surgeries that had piled up during the pandemic. But the government's making clear today that this change is here to stay. It's the change the government has been hinting at for months. When it comes to your health, the status quo is not working. Too many people are waiting too long.
Ontario independent clinics will perform more surgeries and tests. The shift permanent. Clearing a backlog of cataract surgery starting in March is the first area of focus. New partnerships with community surgical and diagnostic centres in Windsor, Kitchener-Waterloo and Ottawa will add 14,000 additional cataract surgeries that will be performed each year. As early as April, more surgeries, including cataract, gynecological and plastic, will be added. Next year, more MRIs and CT scans and knee and hip replacements at community clinics. The most serious procedures will still be carried out in hospital. We want to make sure that we take care of the people that have uh, you know, life-threatening surgeries that, that need to get in there. And the way we do it, we take the burden off the system by rerouting the, the patients. The worry from the opposition is that patients won't be the only ones rerouted. These changes mean more health care workers driven out of our hospitals. And let's be completely clear, Ford's privatization scheme will not reduce the wait times for surgeries, and it sure as heck won't fix our health care staffing crisis. The health minister says only that clinics must have a staffing plan when they apply to perform more surgeries. There's concern, too, about patients being upsold to a more expensive lens or joint. It's difficult to say no, especially if your doctor says, well, this is a superior product from what's offered in the publicly funded health care system. The government insists there are protections, though opposition parties don't feel they go far enough. If there are examples where someone was not given the option of the OHIP funded and only um, given the the upgraded model, then they have the ability right now in the province of Ontario to who ask for an investigation through the Ministry of Health. With the possibility of refunds. New Democrats are vowing to use every tool at their disposal to fight this plan, though they aren't really saying what that fight could look like. They do say that they could work alongside health care unions, though. Reporting live, I'm Siobhan Morris. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Siobhan. So that's the political side. But what about the practical part of all of this? When it comes to the question of quality care, emotions always run high. And there are strong feelings all around. And that extends to the medical community as well. CTV's Allison Hurst is live on Hospital Row with that part of the story. Allison. Nathan and Michelle, we've been talking to a lot of people about the plan. And while some of them were hopeful that this will eventually whittle down that wait list, the vast majority we spoke with believe it's a bad idea. Offering certain surgeries in private clinics to deal with a massive wait list is not the treatment plan most Ontarians would opt into. This is on the road to destruction, greater destruction for the uh, health care system. Thousands are waiting for surgeries that would be made available at clinics, procedures the province calls non-urgent, low-risk or minimally invasive. It kind of frightens me, to be fair. Nancy Flood says at her age, there's always a risk of complication. The only thing that I would go to a clinic to have operated on are my teeth. The Ford government promises anyone using one of these private clinics would not have to pay. I don't trust them as far as you could throw them. Angela Leishman says she saw the UK government prescribe something similar. Now, if you want something done in a less than two or three year time, then you have to go private. And I think that's what's going to happen in Ontario. And it's not going to be good for the people who aren't in the very high income bracket. Those in the medical field question where the additional staff will come from. We're 24,000 nurses short in this province right now. 
where are we going to find the resources to go into these private clinics? I don't believe for one moment that this is going to uh, increase um, procedure time and uh, clear out the backlog. Patients need to go somewhere, but this is not the way to fix it. They need to fix the public system as it is currently. Ontario's five major health care unions issued a call to halt the plan, saying it will actually make things worse. They just want to privatize. You know, they're using the surgical backlog as cover to privatize rather than, you know, doing what they need to do to run the health system well and increase capacity to provide the surgeries for patients. Betty Thurbine worries it's a slippery slope. What's it going to be soon? Like, uh... Everything's going to be privatized and we're going to have to pay one way or the other. You're not like that's what I think. The province estimates there are 206,000 people waiting for surgical procedures. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Allison. And there is lots to keep track of with this announcement. And our online team has a full breakdown of everything you need to know. You can find those details at ctvnewstoronto.ca. Straight ahead, if you feel you're being nickel and dime for just about everything, even more fees are on the rise. From parking permits to community programs, what you'll need to make room for in your family's budget. But first, we take a look outside on this Monday evening. How great was that sunshine over the last couple of days? Unfortunately, that niceness is turning nasty. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. Uh, something heading our way? Oh, it sure is, Michelle. It's knocking on our door, in fact, right now. I'll step aside so you can see this system. Approaching southwestern Ontario, we're already starting to get a little bit of an increase in cloud cover here in the GTA after that beautiful sunshine we enjoyed for our third straight day. This is what's awaiting us overnight tonight and into tomorrow morning. There is a freezing rain warning in place for the city of Toronto, but you can see it covers a widespread area. Temperature currently is minus one degree. We're going to be monitoring this through the overnight hours to see if we make it to zero, then we will have some patchy freezing rain into tomorrow morning's commute. Lots to discuss. It's all coming up in your forecast. For now, Michelle, I'll send it back to you. Thanks, Lindsay. And later tonight, protecting our most vulnerable as the temperatures plummet this winter, how some say a simple measure can help save lives and whether the city will consider it. The CTV News Chopper is high above the city tonight and if you're still waiting for someone to get home or perhaps you're listening to us in your car, how badly do you wish you could be up there in the sky right now? We're all familiar with gridlock and congestion, but now we know where it's the absolute worst. CTV Sean Lee Thong is live along the lakeshore with more. Sean. Well, Nathan, I'm at Lower Sherbourne and the Lakeshore, and this is the worst congested intersection in the city. And I'll show you why if you just take a look over here. You see these cars were past the heart of rush hour, but there's still some congestion. And just beyond this intersection is where people get on the Gardner Expressway, the first opportunity they have coming from the east. Now, many of the cars that are coming down Lower Sherbourne as well, they'll be turning right. So many times you'll get congestion through this intersection. People along this area of the road won't be able to move for several lights which causes a lot of frustration. The worst of the worst. The intersection of Lower Sherbourne and Lakeshore Boulevard has earned the infamous title of most congested intersection in the city. I've been here since 4 o'clock, 52 minutes, and it's only 500 meters. How long have you been here? Uh, 45 minutes. <laughs> How many times have you seen the light change color? At least a dozen, maybe more. Released today by the City of Toronto, a list of the top 10 most congested intersections. As cars try to beat the light here, many have to scramble. 
this is really chaos. It's really crazy right now. So I think if somebody wants to get out from here, they have to find some local small street. Otherwise, we're going to be here for the next 15 minutes. Since the city tore down the on-ramp from the Lakeshore to the Gardner Expressway, the on-ramp just beyond Sherborne is the first chance to get on the highway from the east end. All right, do you do this every day? I do this every day, What's yes. it like every day? Um, it's the same. According to the city, traffic levels have returned to pre-pandemic levels. While Lakeshore and Sherborne is in the lead, four out of the top five worst intersections are all along Finch Avenue in the area of Highway 400. There's some improvement needed. The city says they have developed their Move TO action plan to help ease congestion, but that doesn't help here. Is it demoralizing having to deal with this all the time? Uh, yes, we have to deal with this all the time. As these drivers hope to get moving sometime. Now you can see behind me there are some cars still piling up as they try to get on the Gardner. And the only way that this really will be relieved is when that ramp from the uh, eastbound Lakeshore, westbound Lakeshore, to the Gardner is actually rebuilt, which is years away. Reporting live, I'm Sean Nathan. Nathan, I'll send it back to you. All right. Thank you, Sean. If you rely on street permit parking or take your kids to the zoo, you could soon be paying more. Hikes to all kinds of user fees are on the table at City Hall. And as you can expect, not everyone is buying it. CTV's Natalie Johnson is live with more. Natalie. Hi, Michelle. Well, it's probably no surprise that city services will cost users more this year. Most people would probably expect to hike in line with inflation, but there are some lines in this year's budget where the city is looking to charge you even more than that. Whether it's the cost of renting rink time, taking the ferry to the island, teeing off at a city course, or signing your kids up for a parks and rec program. Most services that the city offers will cost you more this year. I think it's a horrible time for anything to go up. Definitely, it's a bad time to ask people for more. Most user fee hikes are to the tune of 4 or 5 percent, an inflationary increase that will yield $12 million more for the city this year. But if approved, the cost of certain services will increase more than that. I think it's going to be a deterrent for a lot of people, too, and being able to do more things. A few examples. The cost of street parking would climb more than 9 percent for resident permits, visitor passes, and temporary spaces. The cost of kids' admission to the Toronto Zoo at peak time would climb 26 percent, about five bucks a kid. And a week of zoo camp for non-members will cost parents $85 more than last year. Families will also pay more for certain types of ice time. For example, the cost of kids' shinny hockey at McCormick Arena will double. If you want a tree planted on the city boulevard in front of your home, it will cost you $74 more this year than last. City staff have the authority to increase user fees in line with inflation, but anything higher than that needs to be scrutinized by council. The budget chief says he's hesitant to approve any of the higher hikes without good justification. Mayor and I, of course, uh, in pushing to keep uh, things affordable for people across the city, have really indicated to staff our preference to keep things as low as possible. So I think we need to reevaluate those user fees and where there's a, a broader public benefit, we should be paying for it out of revenues that everyone contributes to. Though for now, the budget chief says the goal of the fees is cost recovery. They have to pay for stuff somehow. I guess it's the cost of living in a great city like Toronto. A city that, like its residents, is now paying more. As for what is next on this, well, council will have to sign off on any fee hikes in February. But first, the public will get to weigh in on this budget here tomorrow. Reporting live at City Hall, I'm Natalie Johnson. Michelle, over to you. Thank you, Natalie.
Meanwhile, the city is warning car owners to watch out for a parking ticket scam. A notice from the city posted on social media reads, if you receive a text message from the city asking to pay parking or speeding tickets, do not click any links. Under no circumstances does the city send text messages for these infractions. Please ignore and delete these messages. Turning to serious allegations of police brutality in a case of mistaken identity. And we want to warn you the details are disturbing. A university student is suing Toronto police after he claims he was tackled and tasered by officers looking for a suspect. CTV's Janice Golding reports. When he told me, I froze and I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. Christine Ogilvie describes her emotions when her son told her he'd been tasered and pinned to the ground by police. Our son was assaulted in the most brutal manner. And we are here today to shine a spotlight on the policing by these officers who swore to serve and protect. Hassani Ogilvie was not present at a news conference today, but his parents alleged the third-year art history major was simply on his way to the University of Toronto when he was unlawfully detained and assaulted. It's difficult to imagine how haunting it must be to find yourself face down on the ground, piled on by three officers, while complying and pleading you've done nothing wrong as they hold you down by your neck and stun you with a taser repeatedly. A statement of claim alleges that on August 12, 2021, a police sergeant followed Hassani Ogilvie in her cruiser while he was walking through a plaza at Jane and Wilson. The claim goes on to say the officer got out of her vehicle to question Ogilvie, who provided his full name. However, the claim alleges the officer did not believe the 27-year-old, and the confrontation continued. Police notes obtained by CTV Toronto called the incident a case of mistaken identity. Asani identified who he was. Why did you choose not to believe him? Ogilvie's lawyer says he made a Freedom of Information request this past August for both the police notes and police body camera video. The notes were released, but the video was not. David Chalnut says he has appealed this decision. The horrific ordeal was caught on body camera footage, which I have seen, but is being buried by the Toronto Police Service. We suspect, because of the huge public outcry, it will elicit. Given the matter is before the courts, Toronto Police can't comment. However, they did tell CTV News that in addition to the civil case, the officers are currently before the service's disciplinary tribunal. Under the Police Service Act, all three officers are charged with neglect of duty for not informing Ogilvie about why he was being detained or of his right to counsel. And two officers are facing further charges, namely using unlawful or unnecessary exercise of authority by making an unlawful or unnecessary arrest without good or sufficient cause and committing misconduct and acting in a disorderly manner or in a manner prejudicial to discipline or likely to bring discredit upon the reputation of the police force. I am determined to ensure that if the experiences endured by my son spares one other young man of color from being treated as such, then all of this would have been worthwhile. Hassani Ogilvie is now suing the three police officers and the Toronto Police Board for $2.7 million. His mother is also suing for $250,000 under the Family Law Act. None of the allegations has been tested in court. Janice Golding, CTV News. Next is some developing news involving one of Ontario's largest unions, OPSU taking legal action against some of its former leaders. CTV's Zerada Allman is live with more.
Zoraida. Nathan, he was once one of the most powerful union leaders in the province. Now, former OPSU president Warren Smokey Thomas, along with two other former executives, find themselves at the center of a multi-million dollar lawsuit filed by the union they served. The statement of claim filed in Superior Court by OPSU this morning is seeking damages of over $6 million. Former President Warren Smokey Thomas and two others, former Vice President Eduardo Almeida and former Financial Administrator Maurice Gabay are named in the suit. It alleges that throughout their tenures, Thomas and Almeida paid themselves significant compensation to which they were not entitled, paid themselves expenses for non-business related purposes, transferred union assets in the form of vehicles to themselves or family members for free, paid themselves from the union strike fund and entered into inappropriate agreements to enrich themselves. It also alleges Maurice Gabay, who worked as a financial administrator, conspired and colluded with the other two for his own gain. In a letter to union members and staff, current President J.P. Hornick says numerous concerns came to light during a forensic audit initiated shortly after the new board's election in April. In her statement, Hornick assures members the union's finances continue to be stable and action has been and continues to be taken to ensure this doesn't happen again. I want to be clear to you, our staff and members and the people of Ontario who we dutifully serve, that we will not waver in our commitment to seeking justice in this matter, and we have the full support of the board to pursue all available legal avenues. OPSU is one of the largest public sector unions in the province, with more than 180,000 members. Warren Thomas served a record of seven two-year terms as president. He stepped down in April. And Union President J.P. Hornick also says this is just the first step in pursuing justice for their staff and members. We reached out to Warren Thomas for comment and have not heard back. None of the allegations has been proven in court. Reporting live, I'm Zoraida Allman. Michelle and Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Zoraida. A new survey suggests many Canadians are tightening their purse strings in anticipation of a rough year ahead. The Bank of Canada poll indicates they're worried about high inflation and a looming recession. CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier reports. As temperatures drop, the mall may be the place to go to browse, stay warm and window shop, but spending, not so much. Of course, everything costs more. Well, we're trying to spend as little as possible. <laughs> But it's hard to do it that. It doesn't always work. As a newcomer, I'm worried about the recession that, you know, everyone talks about. Prudence is the name of the game. As the year begins, Canadians and businesses are not overly optimistic about their economic future. According to a Bank of Canada survey, more than 70% of consumers and more than 65% of businesses expect a recession. A mild recession, according to a majority of those polled, but a recession nonetheless. They're concerned uh, essentially about an economic slowdown and what that might mean for their purchasing power, whether they're going to be uh, seeing some of their asset values depreciate. Uncertainty ahead, and as interest rates go up, households see an increase on their debt payments, squeezing them even further this as wages are not increasing fast enough. Price going up, but the salary still the same. A majority of Canadians, that's 60%, are finding it more difficult to access credit, and about half of Canadian workers don't expect their earnings to catch up to the recent inflation. I've definitely changed the way that... Uh that I've done my shopping. I, I, like clothing shopping, I haven't done that in 
forever because I just it doesn't feel joyful anymore. Economists say there is little doubt that the global economy will slow down in 2023. The only question that remains is by how much. In Canada, the job numbers remain solid. In December, unemployment was as low as 5%, a silver lining in a cloudy economic sky. We keep seeing uh, very strong employment gains. Uh, I, you know, just in December, we created 100,000 jobs. The Bank of Canada survey also shows that both consumers and businesses expect inflation to remain high for the near future. And tomorrow, Statistics Canada will let them know where that rate stands. Joyce Napier, CTV News, Ottawa. Federal public servants have begun returning to the office after nearly three years of working remotely. The location of work is a management decision. And also, uh, we know we've seen what's happening in the private sector. We're not against uh, returning to the office. We do believe that there are reasons, but we need, it needs to be presence with purpose. Starting today, employees in Ottawa and Gatineau will be required at work at least two to three days a week. This phased-in plan was announced last month after many employees began working from home full-time when the pandemic began. But federal unions say there's not enough workspaces to return and there are concerns the mandate lacks direction about the specifics of heading back. Canada's Transportation Safety Board will be involved in the investigation into Sunday's deadly plane crash in Nepal. The cockpit voice recorder and flight data recorder have been recovered following the tragedy that killed at least 70 people. The plane went down in clear weather just prior to landing in the tourist city of Pokhara. The TSB is involved in the probe because the engines on the ATR-72 aircraft were made by Pratt & Whitney Canada. Nepal observed a day of national mourning today and set up a panel to investigate the disaster. In New York, the Federal Aviation Administration is investigating following a close call at JFK Airport. A departing Delta Airlines 737 came to an abrupt stop on the runway when an American Airlines jet crossed in front Friday night. The Delta plane stopped about 300 meters from where the other aircraft had entered from an adjacent taxiway. The National Transportation Safety Board is also looking into the incident. The United Nations is strongly condemning a Russian missile attack that destroyed an apartment building in the Ukrainian city of Dnipro. Emergency crews continue to sift through the rubble after Saturday's strike that killed at least 40 people. 30 others remain missing. At least 75 people were injured in the multi-story building in one of the country's largest cities. Ukraine's president says the attack underscores the need for faster, coordinated decisions by allies on arms supplies. In Italy, a notorious mafia boss is behind bars after three decades on the run. Messina Denaro was arrested today just outside a private medical clinic in Palermo. He was taken into custody without incident. The 60-year-old fugitive was the country's most wanted man. Police did not know what Denaro looked like and had to rely on computer-generated images created from decades-old photographs. Officials say investigations are ongoing into possible political and other connections that allowed the mobster to escape justice for so long. This has been a day of reflection and reverence in the United States, honoring the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. This is a time for choosing. Will we choose democracy over autocracy or community over chaos, love or hate? These are the questions of our time that I ran for president to try to help answer and that Dr. King's life and legacy, in my view, show us the way forward. We just have to look back. We've got to be prepared.
Parades were held across the U.S. on the national holiday. Americans are paying tribute to the slain civil rights leader who did so much to begin initiating change. Still, his youngest daughter, Bernice King, said today, America hasn't yet fully embraced and acted on the lessons from her father. And because of the holiday, the Raptors were in action this afternoon in New York City. Precious attacking. Precious on the drive. Scotty underneath. The matinee went to overtime after Toronto and the Knicks were tied at the end of the fourth quarter. The Raps went ahead in OT and hung on to win a squeaker, 123-121. to Toronto now heads to Milwaukee for tomorrow night's game against the Bucks. Coming up, the gift that keeps on crawling. The Toronto Zoo has one heck of an idea for this Valentine's Day. Give a cockroach a name in honor of someone deserving in your life. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, there's a scam going around involving emails that look like they're being sent by Norton Antivirus Software. It's actually criminals phishing for your bank information. A Scarborough man just lost more than $40,000. All of my reports... It's just a hit. We're now midway through the month, and it probably won't surprise you that this January has been milder than normal. So much so that there is still very little ice coverage on the Great Lakes, although we have seen a little more freezing since last week. Not one, but two Colorado lows will impact us this week. I'll show you when the next one arrives coming up in your forecast, and stay with us. More details are just ahead. For many of us, it's a daily problem. Texts, emails, and phone calls, phishing for our personal information, and some can be quite convincing. You have to make sure you're dealing with the person or company you think you are, which a Scarborough senior found out the hard way. Here's Pat Foran and Consumer Alert. Pat. Nathan Amschel, the man's family feels terrible that he got caught in the antivirus phishing scam. The 87-year-old senior thought an email he received was from Norton, but it was from criminals who were able to steal more than $40,000. All right, Dad. Carmen Chismore of Scarborough got an email that appeared to be a bill from Norton Antivirus. It said he would be charged $419 for software. He replied to the email saying he didn't need it or want to pay for it. He was told he would be refunded $419, but that by accident almost $42,000 was deposited into his bank account. $42,000 had been entered into my bank account. which And they said, well, gee whiz, we made a mistake. How do we correct that? The scammers were able to hack Chismore's computer and get into his bank account. He was told to go to his branch and do a wire transfer of $41,400. The teller did ask him questions, but Chismore was told to say he was paying back a loan to an old college friend. Why was I making the wire transfer repayment of a debt? When the scammers tried to get another $20,000 days later, Chismore knew he had been scammed. The fact that they had repeatedly told me not to talk to the bank, should have set all kinds of flares up. Scams in general are a massive problem. Three billion scam messages sent out in the past year. Norton says watch out for suspicious emails that claim you're about to be charged for its antivirus software. They try and reach out to you and say, hey, hundreds of dollars are about to be charged to your account because your subscription is about to renew. Chismore's daughter, Sherry, believes the bank should have done more to prevent the fraud. The fact that going to the bank and that they let this happen, and I just felt 
yeah, so horrible for my parents. The bank is CIBC. A spokesperson said our team is trained to ask questions when transactions do not fit a client's usual banking pattern. If a client authorizes the transaction, it would be processed. Clients have a role to play in recognizing fraud and protecting themselves against it. The family is concerned that the money is now gone for good. They wanted to share their story to try and warn others. And be careful, you don't open any suspicious texts or emails. If you get one and you're not sure if it's legitimate, contact the company directly by going to their official website and not responding to what was sent to you. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. All right, to the forecast today, pretty smooth. We had some sunshine and bit above seasonal, but concerned about the commute tomorrow. I know. Today was just gorgeous with the blue sky. Although, I will say, it was, it's already icy out there on the sidewalk. So to think that tomorrow we're getting all this freezing rain, ice on ice, you're going to have to be careful. It's so true. And what we're really monitoring through the night tonight is the temperature. It could actually climb a degree or two, which would make things very interesting around the GTA. We're not expecting this to be a significant weather event necessarily uh, for the city of Toronto proper. Maybe a little bit of ice accretion. That's where the ice starts to build up, maybe a couple of millimeters. It's areas well north of the GTA that could pick up about five millimeters of ice. And so we're monitoring this widespread freezing rain warning in place. Let's get to it. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. This warning includes us here in the city of Toronto. It extends over to Durham region, around to Niagara south toward the London St. Thomas area, and then north toward Georgian Bay into Muskoka uh, through the morning hours early tomorrow. Pre-dawn, really. This is when we have our best chance of experiencing some freezing rain or drizzle. Uh, it's going to happen if our temperature is right around the freezing mark here in Toronto. It's a little bit warmer than that, which could happen just right along the shoreline of Lake Ontario. This is more likely to be rain as opposed to anything icy or freezing. Current look at the satellite and radar. We've got a little bit of light snow already impacting southwestern portions of the province. We are sandwiched between two low-pressure systems, including one that continues to bring uh, freeze rain and ice pellets to New Brunswick. We say goodbye to the sunshine that we enjoyed for two and a half, three days. Hello to cloud cover and the first of two low pressure systems that are going to impact us through this work week. Here's the timing of it. So overnight, we might even get a little bit of light snow just past midnight, around 1, 2 a.m. And then around 3 or 4 a.m., we see patchy areas of pink here. That's the risk of some freezing rain. Then as the temperature climbs during the daytime hours around the noon hour, we should be mild enough for us to see some rain or some light drizzle. No longer a freezing concern. Wet weather follows us into Tuesday evening on and off. Wednesday looks like a drier day, but it also looks to be mostly cloudy. So once again, we find ourselves uh, without the sunshine. There's your traveler's forecast for tomorrow morning. Just a heads up, especially on any untreated surfaces, bridges, overpass, as they could be a little bit slippery. Eventually, we make it to an afternoon high of four degrees here in Toronto, so it's mild. It's still mild into the day on Wednesday, Thursday. The next low pressure system moves in, might bring us some snow and rain, again, with that temperature above freezing. Looks like some sun will return by next weekend. That's the weather for now. Nathan, over to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Concerns over the cold and the impact on the city's homeless are prompting a call for change. Advocates want to see warming shelters open more often, even before the bitter temperatures move in. CTV's Austin Delaney reports. My name is Victoria Joseph. I'm my son. My son is homeless. 
The Board of Health heard this tearful mother begging for help for her son and the rest of the sons and daughters who are on the streets this winter. The board was debating a series of motions to help the homeless, top of which was opening the warming shelters when temperatures hit zero 24-7 from September to April. The current city guideline allows them to open when it's minus 15. We've been part of the fight year after year after year. Oh, it's minus 13. We can't open because it's not minus 15. Our freezing rain doesn't count. We've, we've had to mount pressure every year to have the discretion applied, and they do have discretion. Four doctors spoke out, telling alarming tales of how the homeless looking for warm shelter turned to hospital emergency waiting rooms for warmth. I want to conclude, Mr. Director, with one story that a patient last week I had went into a Walmart and vandalized the store simply so he could be arrested. He was brought to the emergency room in handcuffs by police and his only request was for food and shelter. The city's medical officer of health says the warming centers and the shelters are important interventions in the short term, but there is a bigger problem. The very act of being, the very uh, state of being homeless or underhoused is a negative impact on health under any temperature. The board voted to send the recommendations to council. I think today the, the problem has been put squarely in front of Mayor John Tory. He has uh, extraordinary new powers to write his own budget and he has a, he has a choice to make. And Councillor Perks estimates opening the warming centres to the homeless for the entire winter would cost the city less than a million dollars. Austin Delaney, CTV News. Also tonight, awards season kicking into high gear, celebrating the best from the Critics' Choice Awards and why many think it's a preview of Oscar night. Award show season is in full swing with the 28th Critics' Choice Awards. There are dozens of award shows, but some seem to hold more significance than others. And with the Oscar nominations voting about to begin, could last night be a signal of things to come? Here's Andrea Case with more. Andrea. Nathan and Michelle, good evening. Yes, the Critics' Choice or the Broadcast Film Critics Association is made up of 400 American and Canadian critics. And while it's not a huge ratings getter, what it does is get people talking about what could be as award season rolls on. An emotional Brendan Fraser was crowned Best Actor last night at the Critics' Choice Awards. You just feel like you're in a dark sea. I want you to know that if you too can have the strength to just get to your feet and go to the light, good things will happen. After achieving worldwide fame in the 90s... We are in serious trouble. Injuries from stunts and the death of his mother, which launched his depression, kept him out of the limelight. His film, The Whale, has thrust him right back into it. I need to know that I have done one thing right with my life. Best actress Kate Blanchett was surprised to hear her name called for her role as a composer in Tar. And in spite of the win, she wishes these contests didn't exist. And stop the televised horse race of it all. In 2021, The Hollywood Reporter wrote the Critics' Choice Association have voted in line with the Oscar voters 73% of the time in the six major categories. Black Panther Wakanda Forever's Angela Bassett won Best Supporting Actress, beating out veteran Michelle Yeoh. If the momentum holds, lost the protector. Bassett could become the first actor to be Oscar nominated for a Marvel film. And when it comes to Best Supporting Actor, 
Ki Hui Kwan will have to make more room on his mantle. The former child actor is on a comeback after years of not finding roles. He went to film school and then went to work in Asia as a fight scene coordinator and assistant director. Now his comeback can take him all the way to the Oscar stage. The Best Director category was stacked with a couple of award winners, but it was a couple of Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart, who not only took that prize, but their film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, won Best Screenplay and the night's biggest prize, Best Picture. And congratulations to Toronto's Sarah Pauly, who won the Critics' Choice for Best Adapted Screenplay for her film, Women Talking. Now, Oscar nomination voting ends tomorrow, and the announcement is on January, January 24th. And the big show, the Oscars, on March 12th. But between now and then, there'll be lots of award shows, and I'll be watching them all for you. Reporting live, I'm Andrea Case for CTV News. Have a good night. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. To get a flash or something coming at you, and I, re I reacted to it. So I had to swerve to avoid it. Updating our top stories, harrowing moments for drivers after a small plane crashed and ended up on a road near a Markham airport. No one on the highway was hurt, while the pilot and passenger were assessed at the scene, but not taken to hospital. The cause of this crash remains under investigation. We're expanding community surgical and diagnostic centers so you can get surgeries you need faster and closer to home. Ontarians need to ask themselves if they can trust uh, the Premier at his word that this is going to help us. The province has released a three-step plan which will see some for-profit surgical and diagnostic centers perform more surgeries and medical procedures. The plan has prompted criticism about the potential for more privatization in Ontario's healthcare system. Our son was assaulted in the most brutal manner. And we are here today to shine a spotlight on the policing by these officers who soar to serve and protect. The parents and lawyer of Hassani Ogilvie addressed the media today. The U of T student claims he was tasered by police while being pinned to the ground in 2021 after police mistook him for someone else. Ogilvie is seeking more than $2 million in damages. Police have not commented as the case is before the courts. On the markets, the Canadian dollar slipped 14 points to 74.54 U.S. American benchmark oil fell about a dollar to 78.85 a barrel. And the TSX Composite Index climbed 30 points to close at 20,390. Meantime, Canadian home prices posted a record drop in 2022. According to the Canadian Real Estate Association, over the year as a whole, prices declined more than 13%, according to CREA. That's the biggest peak-to-trough fall since it started tracking back in 2005. The association expects fewer homes to trade hands this year than last year, but it says the biggest declines are likely in the rearview mirror. Prince Edward Island wants to end what's being called a competitive disadvantage for local businesses. Ottawa is being asked to reduce the toll for the Confederation Bridge. PEI's premier says that would make trips to the mainland more affordable. Dennis King is asking that the current toll for cars drop to $20 from just over $50. The nearly 13-kilometer-long bridge is a federally-owned asset. Is someone bugging you? Looking to let off a little steam? The Toronto Zoo has a whack of cockroaches on offer who need names. Just ahead, one of the most unusual, creepy, crawly fundraising campaigns.
Valentine's Day is less than a month away, and if you're looking for a unique gift, the Toronto Zoo might be able to help. It's a creepy, crawly new fundraiser to help with wildlife conservation. But as CTV's Scott Lightfoot reports, you'll likely only gift it to someone who really bugs you. If you're over roses, then chocolates just won't cut it. The Toronto Zoo is offering a new gift idea for Valentine's Day. This is not necessarily a gift for someone that you love. Um, this can be a gift for, for whatever reason you, you choose, and people are choosing all kinds of reasons. Why not gift someone with a six-legged reminder of just how you feel about them by naming a cockroach in their honour? I would honestly find that really funny. Because <laughs> I don't find cockroaches that bad. Of course, he doesn't because Kyle Banton-Jones works with the insects. They play an important role in the environment. Uh, you know, the Madagascar hissing cockroach spends a lot of its time eating, uh, you know, uh, rotting wood and different plant debris all over, the, all over the ground and helping it decompose. And it's an important part of the ecosystem there. If your relationship is decomposed and your significant other bugs you, it might be the perfect present. They won't actually get the cockroach, but a certificate with the roach's new name and a tax receipt for the $25 donation you've made to the zoo's wildlife conservatory. There are a lot of programs at the Toronto Zoo, many of which are funded by uh, gate fees and municipal grants, but there are other programs that have no funding from those sources that really rely on donations. So we are, our role is to gather those donations, and this is just one of the ways we're doing that. The zoo says all gifts will remain confidential, but they will release the most purchased roach names, which so far appear to be Jeff, and ironically... It is a hissing cockroach. Kyle. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News. Happy Valentine's Day, honey. Yeah, I know. That's not going to work. We're all thinking, what would we name our cockroach? Okay, well, well, let's get to weather. We'll think while you give us the weather. Okay, yeah, we'll think it over. And what we need to think about tonight is the fact that tomorrow morning's uh, commute could be a little complicated, only because we do have a risk of some freezing rain. That's if the temperature can be right around freezing, just as that precip is arriving. Here's a look at the satellite and radar. We have several hours before it does arrive here in the GTA. We're starting to get some cloud cover, but that freezing rain warning is in place. This is issued by Environment Canada, and again, it's warning of some slippery surfaces, not just on the roads, but maybe sidewalks and parking lots too. Then we get into some rain and drizzle tomorrow as the temperature rises. There's one more look at the seven-day forecast. Nathan and Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Lindsay. Well, that's it for us. Be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight after the football game for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a great night.